Hello, everybody. It is really good to see you. Glad to have you here for part two of The Certainty. It's an exciting series that we're in, in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, even this morning I made many, many last-minute changes, so I'm going to be kind of hoping that all fits and works today for us. It's kind of exciting as God has been sharing things with me that I want to share with you. Have you ever asked this question, how can I know this? I mean, how can I know what? How can I know this is true? Uh, I think at some point in time, uh, we've all asked something like this. I asked that question 39 years ago, uh, back in 1982, in my first full-time employment in ministry. I know you're doing the math and you're thinking, that is impossible, you're not that old. I, I, I wish you were thinking that, but yes, it is possible, and uh, way back 39 years ago in 82, in my first youth ministry experience, um, I had this sudden sinking feeling and this kind of darkness come over me, and it was a battle, and, and it was like, how can I know this is true, because I'm teaching this to other people, and I've never really doubted it up to that point, and I grew up with it, and maybe I just believe this because I grew up with it, and I had those kinds of things just rattling my heart and my brain and everything else, and I never regret what it is that I did. I, I uh, called my dad, and my dad um, didn't belittle me. He just pointed me towards uh, the direction of the best answer in his opinion, and I still hold that opinion now. The direction of the best answer when you have those kinds of questions is to investigate the reality of the historic resurrection of Jesus, because that is the one piece, although it is perhaps in most people's minds the hardest to prove, it's actually the one that's easiest to prove because of the explosion of the movement immediately after. So I began to investigate that, and in that investigation, uh, centered around the most important truth that you can believe, that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and he died on a cross for you, and he rose from the grave. And the movement exploded immediately after these events that took place in history. Now, this is what's most important for Luke to get across to us. We looked at that last week, that his whole purpose for writing was so that we would know the certainty of these things which we've been instructed. And so, he's very interested in investigating that truth. And he backs up from that truth which he's already come to firmly believe to lay the foundation for believing the whole thing that you're instructed in, and that's what Luke is all about. And I want you to be all about that as well, that you feel the freedom to not fear the investigation of truth, because truth is truth. Investigate it right down to the mat and you're going to discover, I believe, like I discovered, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very believable, that the evidence actually points to it as a reality in history. And so that's what Luke is all about, that is what I'm all about, and that's what I hope that you will be all about as well. And it doesn't matter to me where you are right now in that process I want you to eventually get there. And the person that Luke was writing to, Theophilus, wasn't quite there yet either, and hence that is why Luke is writing so that Theophilus would know the certainty. And so I invite you to join in this together. In 
a review of last week, there was this verse that talks about this is what Luke is all about. Luke 1.4, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. I gave a roadmap, just as also by way of uh, summary review last week, the roadmap to this certainty. It's a roadmap that starts with hearing, moves to believing, and then moves to living, and then knowing. And so at any junction point in any way along this path, you can um, stumble along and ask the question suddenly, how could I know this? And you're going to take a little detour off the roadmap. And what's fascinating to me is that that's precisely where Luke begins to build his certainty. He begins to build his certainty with somebody that should have known better that jumps off the roadmap with this question. And so we're going to jump right into Luke's introduction of a character that uh, he alone lets us know about, a character by the name of Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest, and he uh, had his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to offer prayer right in the temple, in the holy place, not the holy of holies, which was reserved for the high priest once a year, but the holy place. At that time, uh, the majority of scholars that I ran into said there's 18,000 priests at that time, and they would have this lottery system, a drawing by lot, that they considered to be by God's choice, then a priest would be chosen to go in, and he had to do all the preparation the priest would have to do, and he'd offer incense on the uh, table of incense, which was right inside the holy place, the last piece of furniture before the entry into the most holy place is where the dwelling of God was in terms of their understanding, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's presence was in the middle of their nation. And while he's there, he has this encounter with an angel, freaks him out, we'll talk about that in a moment, and then when the angel prophesies about the coming of John the Baptist, he doesn't say he's John the Baptist, he says you're going to name him John, he's the, he's the prophet who's going to prepare for the coming of the Christ, Zechariah does something that is very similar to what Mary does, but with a big difference. He asks this question in verse 18. He says, how can I know this? Zechariah is very old. So is his wife Elizabeth. They've never had children. They're barren, which is a disgrace in that culture, especially if you're a priest, because that's a blessing of God. And you even read about how Elizabeth's finally feels the disgrace lifted from her. You read about that later in the chapter. And he's then asking this question. How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man, and my, life, my wife is well along in years. So why is it that Luke starts here? Well, it is kind of a great place to start, but I find it really interesting how he lays out this chapter the angel introduces the prophecy to Zechariah. We move all the way up until the, the well, a certain point, then he interrupts after the announcement, and then the angel announces to Mary. And then he interrupts and gets back to Zechariah. It's like this back and forth between the same angel, the announcement to Zechariah, then the angel announcing to Mary her situation six months later, 
and the difference between the two reactions. We're not going to get into Mary's reaction much because I'm already going to be over time, I think. We're going to just look at Zacharias, his question as we go. So why does he start here? And I think the best place for us to start is here. And so point number one, we're ready for it because point number one is this question, it's everybody's question. At some point in time, it's everybody's question. How can we know this? Now, it's a question that you're particularly asking when you're confronted with the supernatural. Now, let's just kind of think through the confrontation of the supernatural that he's just encountered. Zechariah has been serving at a time in the history of Israel where there's been 400 years of silence. Now, by that I mean there wasn't a prophet for 400 years. The last prophet who spoke, spoke about the coming of the prophet who is going to be the one who introduces the coming of the Christ. And now, there's been all this silence. We have no books of the Old Testament between this this time, uh, 400 years before the New Testament, and Jesus' time. So from the last book of the Old Testament to the first writing of the New Testament experience. So this experience, there's 400 years of silence. Now add on top of that 400 years of silence, Zechariah's and Elizabeth's own sense of God's silence. Think about that. They're old. This is a disgrace in their culture. It's just a hard thing to deal with. They're in, in the field of being a priest, in a, you know, a godly representative for the whole nation. Hey, he's excited about the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to, to give service in the temple, and everything's going really, really well until suddenly, he, while he's praying for the nation, on behalf of the nation, praying for, I believe, he's praying for the coming of Christ, which means the precursor has to come, too, the prophet who's going to prepare the way for the coming of the Christ. Blam! We got this glorious angel that reveals himself to Zechariah. And Zechariah does what typically people do when angels show up. He freaks out. Totally terrified. And then the angel does what angels typically do when people freak out and he's trying to be nice. He says, don't be afraid. And then he just lays it out that you are going to have a baby. Can you imagine? He's old. And now he's asking this question, how can I know this? And so we're going to investigate as we go a little bit of, well, is it a, a logical question? Why does he ask this question? And is it doubt? And actually the very next words of the angel is, and you did not believe. And so the angel says, I'm, I'm going to strike you mute. And, and I, ha- I can't help it. It's just me. So the angel strikes him dumb for being dumb. You know, it's like now he cannot talk because he didn't take the angel at his word. Now, I find it fascinating that later on when the same angel, Gabriel says what his name is, introduces what is going to happen to Mary and says, Mary's going to have a a baby. And and as a virgin, she asks a very similar question. How is this possible? Not how can this be, but how is this possible? And instead of being struck mute, Mary 
is given an explanation. Well, you don't have to be with a man for this. The Holy Spirit is going to bring this about miraculously for you. And she goes, oh, okay, may it be to me according to your word. Wow. Just the contrast between the two and so few differences in the question. But the Gabriel knows that something's off in Zechariah. He's a priest who should know better. He should believe, and instead he doubts. And Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel, sent to tell you this, and you doubt it? Well, you're going to be now mute until John is born. Now, that's the story, and I had to kind of, maybe I didn't save any time telling it. It's like, maybe I should have just read it, but uh, that's where we're at. Now, what I want to do, though, is ask you, now that I've started the way Luke started, doesn't it seem odd to you that if Luke is building a case of certainty of the resurrection of Jesus, doesn't it seem like an odd place to start with the appearance of angels, prophecies, and the declaration of miracles? Does that cause a skeptic person to become more certain, or does that just sound kind of like I'm less certain? It sounds so wild and weird and legendary. Why does Luke begin here? And so in asking that kind of question, I'm inviting everybody, whether you're a skeptic or a believer, to revisit just this encounter from the standpoint of how strange this all was. 400 years of silence broken, and now these announcements. Now, as odd as it is, to start this way, Luke doesn't apologize. He doesn't explain himself. He starts this way because it's unavoidable. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, describing the supernatural is unavoidable. And I know a lot of so-called scholars and a lot of so-called preachers who avoid this. They avoid the miraculous and even reinterpret everything in the New Testament to try to bring meaning of it without the resurrection, without the supernatural. And Luke knows better. You have to jump into the supernatural for you to get to the place where you will believe in the resurrection. But what he does is he backs us up into thousands of years of context so that you can build a certainty. Luke is no different than we are. He did not grow up Jewish. He did not grow up with a Jewish history. He did not grow up learning all about the temple and all about the priest system and all about Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham was 100 years old, or nearly 100, when he finally had the promise fulfilled that he would have the son. And Zechariah knew this in his history, that the whole nation is built on that miracle, and now he's questioning this miracle, which is easier because he's so much younger. I mean so to speak, easier, right? And just to show that he has control and power now because you didn't believe it, just so you know the miraculous is taking place and you didn't have some kind of weird psychedelic trip in a vision, you're going to not be able to talk, boom, for the next nine months or whatever it took for all of this to come about. So 
Remember that little diagram or the little roadmap from believing or from hearing to believing and from believing to living and from living to knowing? I think Zechariah thought that he was pretty much on that track all the way to knowing the truth about Scripture, believing everything about Scripture. And all of a sudden, right here, because it hits so close to home, he jumps off from hearing. It goes onto a bumpy detour before he can come back to believing in the early trail of the roadmap to certainty. And it's going to be a bumpy ride. The good news is he's going to come back by God's mercy, right back onto the road of certainty because God was so merciful to not just blitz him and judge him, but to give him exactly what he needed to become somebody powerful in this equation. So all of that, and I just want to wrap it up with, not the whole sermon, wrap up this section with this quote. These are not extras. These stories of the miracles, the stories of the angels, and all these things that are so hard for so many to believe. These are not extras. These are not accessories that are unbelievable. The breakthrough of the supernatural world into ours is at the heart of the gospel and cannot be avoided. Without the supernatural, there is no gospel. Without the supernatural, there is no resurrection of Jesus. Without the supernatural, why would we even believe in heaven or life after death? Jesus entered in and made a way for us. And that's what all of this is about. And in order for us to come to terms with our worldview, like Luke had to come to terms with his worldview to see if this incredible story could actually be true, we have to keep reading. So wherever you are on your road... From wherever you are to where God wants you to be, keep reading. Keep looking to see if it could be so, because later on you'll encounter enough evidence where it's like, whoa, this really is true. And so that's how Luke starts. And still, even with all this preparation, starting in Genesis, thousands of years of preparation, Get to Abraham, 2,000 more years of preparation. Get to the kings and the prophets and more preparation, more preparation, laying groundwork and prophecy after prophecy. Then there's 400 years of silence. And then what seems like 400 years for Zechariah and for Elizabeth of unanswered prayer, silence. And now Zechariah, because of his questioning, out of that silence, he is given silence. And so we reach point number two. It is a big step from hearing to believing. It's a big step from hearing to believing. So we need to keep reading to see if it's believable. In Luke 1, 20, we read, Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. So we have to assume because he had so much of the Bible that he believed that he should have believed. How many of us who now have all the Bible enter into a period of silence where God is not listening to our prayers and he's not giving us what we think he should give us 
And we have, have a long history of looking back at events, our events, and we think there's been such long silence. How many of us enter into our period of doubt as well? When we have all of this, like even more than Zechariah had. Now, Zechariah, knowing about Abraham and Sarah, ought to have known better. But why does he not? Because it hits so close to home. It doesn't feel like out there long ago, and yes, God did this. Suddenly, it's right here. How can I know this? It's like he's been with this disgrace for so long. How can I know that I'm not disgraced, that I am, that I am worthy of this? We? We're going to have the prophet. It's been 400 years since we had a prophet. How can I know this? Now, if we are given that big news, how many of us would just absolutely jump on it and say, Woohoo! Uh, I believe it. I'm, I'm not going to go there with knowing about my own pride, whether I would respond correctly or not. And so there's a lot going on with Zechariah here. So I ask this question, was fear the source of his doubt? I have a, a baby now, and the baby is going to prepare the world for the coming of the Messiah? How can that be when I have one foot in the grave already and the other on a banana peel? I mean, right? It's like, how is this possible? Me? And, and running through his brain is... And, what am I going to tell Elizabeth? Can you imagine the conversation? <laughs> you know, in fact, how do you have a conversation? And so we discover later in this story, they were in the, developed a habit of writing notes. And actually later in this story, there's this little puzzle in one of the verses where uh, it doesn't show up in all the translations where he, they're trying to see what Zechariah wants to name the son because they didn't, I mean, they're surprised that Elizabeth says John. And they want to know why, what Zacharias thinks because there's nobody John. Why are we naming him John? And then they, in one of the translations, they were signing to him what he got. So maybe it wasn't just muteness. It was deafness as well because they're signing to him to try to get him to answer. And I just think, whoa, communication would have been really tough for all of this time frame, for months, where he's deaf and mute. So, let's just imagine together. He comes home after his event, and he's got to tell Elizabeth. And she says, what happened in there? Or she finally... It's this note-passing thing. And then another note gets... An angel? What did the angel say? I mean... And he goes, what? We're going to have a what? You know, can you imagine? And then it's like they're old, passing this back and forth and figuring this out. And then in short order, she becomes a believer. And so does he. God is so gracious and merciful I mean, even though he becomes a believer, he has to still go through this whole pregnancy 
with this muteness, this deafness, this bumpy ride that causes him to, I believe, causes him to have to repent, right? Repent of his unbelief and kind of reorder all his thoughts and think through. And he's filled with all kinds of new doubts now. We're old and we're raising a prophet. And what's this going to be like? And he's going to prepare the nation for the coming of the Messiah. What's this going to be like? And he's just spending time in prayer and learning and growing through this whole process. So how does this relate to all of us when we're asking the question, how can this be true? And so I have these questions for you. Do you have a problem with God's silence? Or do you have a problem with what God said? Doubts have a way of cornering you in a no-win situation. Zechariah was caught between what God said and believing what God said and the silence that created all of this in him up until that point. Some people doubt because God is not answering their prayers. Some people doubt because God says some things that they can't quite believe. And some people doubt because of both. And it's because of where they're coming from, not because of where God is coming from, not because everything that is said and done is unbelievable. If you look through the history of the whole thing, it's very believable. But when you back up and you look at it in your own life, in your own questions, in your own silence, in your own difficulty, it's going to take that roadmap from hearing to believing. And there are steps involved to living. Then knowing, last week we talked about this is a particular kind of knowing. It's not just knowing in your head. Zechariah knew in his head that Abraham and Sarah had the same kind of miracle, only bigger because of their age. But knowing in his head wasn't the problem. His heart was the problem. What he's going through was the problem. But God, through the agency of Gabriel, gave a tremendous mercy by saying, because you didn't believe, Here's what's going to happen. And that just causes him to have to rethink, get back to just conversation with the Lord, repent, and get back to the faith. So we want to talk about that. This is a reminder to us, even when God seems silent or unresponsive, he's working out his plan and he will be faithful. Point number three, not taking this step produces a bumpy ride. Now, at any point in this roadmap we've talked about, whether it's I don't believe what I'm hearing, or I'm not living what I'm believing, or I don't really know with this internal certainty because I don't have everything ahead of it, this knowing who he is and living it out and, and convinced with event after event after event, that he's real in my life too, and you don't have this covenant relationship with God in this deep, connected, powerful way, wherever you are in the process, if you don't 
move on, if you don't take the next step, which almost always includes repentance, which is a changing of your thought process, a turning a 180 and back in the direction of accepting the truth about what God says about you and the truth about what God says about the future, the truth about what God says about the past, until you repent of that, you're not going to get back on the road to certainty. And it's not taking this step that produced a bumpy ride. So I just want to give a quick kind of scrunch down summary view of chapter one, which is like 80 verses long. It's like a really long chapter. And we're going to take a look at this bumpy ride. So take a look at chapter one, six through seven, where both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the law. This is before the encounter. This was the label given to them by the word of God. Now, doesn't mean they're sinless. Living, with that, living blamelessly is a way that the scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament describes as living in a right relationship with God. When you stumble, you repent the way God has given you to repent through the Old Testament sacrificial system, if you're in the Old Testament, or through the cross in the New Testament, that you're taking care of business with God. We just took communion together. That we've, we've taken care of business with God. We've confessed. We're coming back. We're, we're trusting God. We're renewing our covenant with Him. They were in right relationship. They were without blame. They were on the road. They're making progress. That's where they were. But... They had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive and both of them were well along in years. So that's where they were and then we get jostled by the events and the doubt where he jumps off of believing with a doubting question and Gabriel knows it. Even though his words are so similar to Mary's words, Gabriel knows Mary is believing just wondering how is it going to happen? I don't get it. And he explains it, oh, okay, God can do that. Whereas the priest, who knows better, doesn't go there. And so he takes this nine-month bumpy ride. So in, in my notes, I just have this graphic where you go, we looked at hearing, believing, living, knowing, right? Well, hearing, detour, Bumpy ride, repenting, believing, living, knowing. But the good news is there, we come back to Zechariah in a much stronger faith, forged by this experience, which was a very difficult experience to have to go through, but it's merciful of God to bring him through this experience where before he was blameless, before he was living right with God, and then he's, well, we got to blame him. Gabriel does blame him for doubting. And then, look at verse 67. Then his father Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied. And you're going to read down through almost the end of the chapter this huge prophecy from Zechariah now after John is born where he just declares what's going to happen in the nation. We're not, we're not just talking about the first prophet being John the Baptist. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, Zechariah himself is prophesying. 
where there's been all this silence, his silence is broken by the Holy Spirit through his body in prophecy. It's a powerful section. So he goes from this hearing, believing, doubting state into this believing bigger than he's ever believed before and prophesying by the power of the Spirit because of all this silence, time spent with God, now the Spirit has this guy like never before, which to me is just like, wow, this is so hope-filled. Because I started out with, have you ever asked this question? 39 years ago, I was in ministry and I had that question. And I wrestled it down to the mat. And I wish I could say, I've been on the road, never took a detour since. No. All along the way now, there's been detours on other places and other spots. It wasn't on the hearing and believing side. It would be on the living because of what I believe side. Here I am like, just like him, a priest, but responding more like an atheist. A priest, but responding more like a skeptic. A priest who knows better because I know the truth and then because of choices of my own, I live opposite of the truth that I know. And God has been so merciful to me, bringing me through the forge of my own bumpy rides to get to a bigger, better place where I am weak and he is strong. And it is not about me. It's about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit in us that if we live in right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done, by his atonement, he cleanses our sin, which is just a precursor. Some people think that's the, that's the main deal. That's just a precursor so that the power of the spirit of God can enter into us like the temple pictured. Now we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And by the grace of God, he gets the glory when we repent, wash clean under the cross, and ask God to forgive us of our doubt, forgive us of our detour, forgive us of our bumpy ride. I'm coming back to this roadmap of certainty, and it isn't about how well I do, it's about what you have done. It's about Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. What Paul says is foolishness to the unbelieving world is the power of God to save those of us who believe in what he has done. And this is how he begins the gospel. All of us have been there. We've all bumped off the road of certainty. You've all taken detours. We've all fallen short. And Jesus loves us so much that he mercifully allows the bumps to bump us back but this is what I urge you to do as soon as is possible for you to turn back to Jesus and repent. Get off the bumpy detour as fast as you possibly can. It's for your good that you get back to trusting in him. He's going to continue to build out his gospel and go right into the book of Acts and the whole movement is going to be called The Way. By the way, Jesus said, I am the way. 
follow Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about now. It's all about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for giving us your word, taking us collectively in history through periods of silence, through bumpy rides, and taking us individually through periods of silence and periods of bumpy rides. Lord, we'd, we'd love to have it where we are not doubting, but trusting even more, forged in our faith to become stronger, that you might speak through us, live through us, bring glory to your name through us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.